Today will be a second part of our series. We're going to go through the entire book of Acts from beginning uh, to end. It's actually my favorite way of, of preaching is just going through the Bible. Uh, that way, uh, when you do that, something always is going to good. Even if, if I don't do my part, you're going to get the Bible at least that day. So when you, when you preach in a way that is topical or, or on marriage or on a theme, uh, it's all based on, on how smart I am, and I'm not all that smart. So if we do it this way, things will work out much better. So. Book of Acts will be our second, second sermon in this series. They're going to replace Judas, the traitor, Iscariot, with a different apostle today. That's kind of the theme of the, uh, this. It's hard to have a title for this section. As we get through chapter 2 and on, it's going to be much, much easier. But This section is, is an important section. We're going to do a little history and stuff today, too. Just want to give you some background information on some of these, these apostles. Apostles, of course, are, are the early leaders of the church who were with Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry through death, burial, resurrection, and then started the church that you and I are a part of today. So it's pretty neat to see the history of, of and the beginnings of our church. We begin in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, And the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. There is a lot happening in this first, first section. One, I want to go through the, the apostles as they're listed. As Luke lists them, he lists, he, he lists them in his gospel as well. But I want to talk to you about them today individually and go through just real quick of kind of what we know about them. Now, some of them, like Peter or James, we, we have quite a bit of biblical record on. Some of the other disciples, we have very little biblical record on. And so what I'm going to give you today is both the biblical record and church tradition and history. Now, the church tradition and history can be wrong, of course. Um, but this is the, the best information we have. So we're going to go through them from, from top to bottom. So Peter, he's going to be very prevalent in the beginning of the book of Acts. And then the Apostle Paul will kind of take over the, the rest of the book of Acts. But Paul... Who is, or excuse me, Peter, who is also called Simon in the Gospels, is prominent, a prominent leader in this church throughout his life. He's also the author of First and Second Peter in your New Testament. He was a fisherman when Jesus called him, along with John, James, and Andrew. And what I'm also going to give you is how they are they're, they're killed. Now, the only apostle that's going to die a natural death is the Apostle John. The rest of them are going to be killed for their faith in Jesus. So I'm going to list that to you too. Now that, that doesn't happen in the book of Acts except one time do we actually have a record of it. But I want to list it for you. Last week I told you, and it may have upset you a little bit, that God doesn't care about your comfort. That you care about it, but God doesn't. And so to prove that to you today, I'm going to let you know how they all died. Because none of them died comfortably. And if God was concerned about your comfort, he should have been concerned about their comfort. He's not concerned about our comfort. I know we are, that we spend tons of time and energy on comfort. Right? Your favorite chair at your house or your couch or your bed. Right? All those things that we do to make ourselves comfortable. Fine. God's not worried about it. He doesn't care about your comfort or my comfort. Not his big concern. He has a purpose and a mission and a goal in this world. And it's often not very comfortable. The apostle Peter will be crucified upside down. Upside down. He asked to be crucified upside down, tradition says, because he didn't want to die the same death Jesus died. And so Peter's going to be killed for his faith and be crucified upside down. John, who's the author of the Gospel of John, also the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. 
He was a fisherman as well. The only apostle to die a natural death, but he didn't die without, without heartache, trust me. He died while he was exiled to the island of Patmos, and some traditions say that he was badly scarred after being thrown into a pot of boiling oil. So he was burned, third-degree burns all over, and then survived it, and then lived and died a natural death, but not exactly a natural death of, of comfort. James, the brother of John, was also a fisherman. His death is actually recorded in the Bible, the only one of these, these 12 whose, whose death is recorded. And we're actually going to see it in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. He was killed by a sword. Not sure how, they just killed him with a sword. Andrew, who's Peter's brother, was also a fisherman. He's killed by crucifixion. Philip, who was an evangelist in the early church, like me and the other disciples, was tortured and then crucified. I don't want to get into the torture because there's young people here. It wasn't pleasant. We'll just let you just leave it there. Thomas, who some of us know is doubting Thomas to the New Testament, is tortured before being burned alive. Bartholomew, who's also referred to as Nathaniel in the New Testament, was flayed and then crucified. Matthew, who's also known as Levi, who's the author of the Gospel of Matthew, who was a tax collector, was his trade, he was beheaded. James, the son of Alphaeus, leader in the Jerusalem church, was thrown off the temple and then apparently was still alive and they beat him to death. Simon the Zealot, who traditionally speaking evangelized places in Egypt, Cyrene, Africa, uh, Libya, Persia, was crucified. And Judas, the son of James, also sometimes referred to as Thaddeus in the New Testament, who preached in Mesopotamia traditionally, was beaten to death. So when I tell you God doesn't care about your comfort, I mean it. He doesn't care about your comfort. Because you and I are likely not going to be killed for this Jesus. The first disciples, these first apostles, are. Almost all of them are going to be killed because of their faith in Jesus. You and I, all we risk is embarrassment with friends when we come to know Jesus. Tell them we go to church and they call us Bible thumpers or they call us other names, right? That's, that's about the persecution we face. The persecution that this church is going to face is, is for real. And it's going to cost many of them their lives. So remember, as we go through the book of Acts, that there is a price that is being paid, and it is the ultimate price that's being paid. So you and I can come here today. But this is how our tradition begins. And it doesn't begin with puppies and rainbows and sunshine. It begins with the first Christians being killed for their faith. Many of those apostles were asked to renounce this Jesus and they would have saved their lives. And in those moments, they said, absolutely not. I'd rather die a hero than live a coward. And so we have to evaluate ourselves as we go through the book of Acts. And you are going to be, we are going to be challenged throughout the book of Acts as we see that these early followers of Jesus are willing to sacrifice their comfort and their lives in order to spread the good news that your sin has been forgiven. The reason that you and I can trust the resurrection, the empty tomb, is because the men and women who saw it were willing to die for it. You don't die for things that don't happen. You don't do that. You die for things that were real. And so when, when Peter, next week, Peter preaches a sermon about this Jesus, he means it from the very depths of his soul. Because he saw it, he tasted it, he heard it, he felt it. He was there. And the reason we trust these eyewitnesses almost 2,000 years later is because they were willing to give everything for this movement. 
even though it costs them their lives. They are there, all of them alive, in Acts chapter 1. And what are they doing? They watch Jesus ascend to heaven. We saw that last week. They come back to the upper room, which tradition says actually is probably owned by the mother of John Mark, who is the author of the Gospel of Mark. They come to this upper room where they're meeting and essentially hiding at this point. And verse 14 tells us what? They all join together constantly in prayer. Now something that we should all be doing, I'll be the first to admit that I do not pray enough. I could always pray more. I don't know about you. I'm not good at sitting for a real long time, so the sitting there with my hands crossed prayer isn't my thing. I, I, like to, I kind of pray on the move often uh, while I'm driving. Don't worry, my eyes are open. Um, don't pray with your eyes closed while you're driving, please. Let Jesus take the will thing. I don't, be careful, right, when you don't. Just keep your eyes open. It's fine. You can pray with your eyes open. You don't have to have your hands crossed. You can pray. Anyway. Prayer is just a conversation with God. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be at a certain place or a certain time. It's just, a to- it's just talking with him. Right? You, don't need to be a sp- you don't need to come here or face a certain direction or say a certain thing. Like, just talk to him. That's what prayer is. And we see that the first followers of Jesus are constantly in prayer. Now, they're in the midst of, of hardship right now. And if all of us, we've all been in the midst of hardship. If you haven't, you will be. What happens when that hardship comes? We pray. When we don't have the words to speak, we're not quite sure what we're supposed to say, what do we do? We just pray. And that prayer, sometimes all I can say is, God, I, I, I got nothing to give. I need you now. What we learn is that God is faithful in hearing our prayers, isn't he? I remember driving the garbage truck in Nampa, and Mr. Parker wasn't doing so good one time. And Stacy calls me and said, hey, Parker's not doing good. This is what's going on. And I remember driving the garbage truck, crying like a little baby, in prayer to God. Just saying, God, I got nothing to give. I need you now and always. And I need you to intervene. I need you to move. Because I got nothing. Been there, haven't you? God hears those prayers. And he moves. And God starts moving in that upper room. As the apostles, let's not pretend they're ignorant. They know what's ahead of them. Jesus told them. It isn't going to be easy. And so as they pray in this upper room for guidance of what to do next, they are praying for their lives. Knowing that they might have to give them on behalf of this Jesus. And it isn't just the apostles who are in that room praying. What's the list say? Luke tells us along with them were the women. We see those women throughout the New Testament. Faithful, faithful women. Uh, some of the women that we see listed in the New Testament. Mary Magdalene, Salome, Mary the mother of James. Of course, here we give Mary the mother of Jesus. Faithful women who have always been and will most likely always be the very foundation of the church. Women who are willing to pray. Remember, of these 12 apostles, how many of them were at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified? 
They all, yeah, all but one, who's Jesus' cousin, cuts and runs, right? They're gone. Tail between their legs and hiding. Who we see at the foot of the cross as Jesus is crucified are those faithful women. We're there to the very end. One of those poor souls is Jesus' mother who has to watch her son be crucified, tortured and mocked until he dies. Faithful women but willing to risk everything for this Jesus. When Jesus comes back to life, is resurrected, the first person he appears to is, is a woman, Mary Magdalene. Why? Because she's faithful. Because she's there. He commissions her to go and tell his disciples, these guys who are hiding, the good news that the tomb is actually empty. Women have always been and will always be the very foundation of the church. and We cannot stress the importance women have played in Christianity and will always play in Christianity. So to all of our faithful women, we thank you so very much for all that you do. Interesting that verse 14 ends with Jesus' brothers. Because essentially up until this time, the record is that the brothers don't really believe in Jesus, which is understandable. Your older brother is the savior of the world, right? You're like, what, like, mom and dad are like, hey, how come you're like Jesus? You're like, well, I'm not the son of God. So, I mean, they're like, it's kind of a hard comparison to have when you're, when you're older. Imagine if you're a younger sibling, your older sibling being God in the flesh. It could be a little difficult, right, when they're perfect and they do everything right and you're sitting here like, I'm just a human being, mom and dad, like, go easy, right? So you understand where they're coming from. There's always a little conflict between the oldest and youngest kids in any family, but when the oldest is perfect, that's kind of a hard bar for the other kids to measure up to. After death, burial, and resurrection, we see Jesus' brothers are realizing who exactly he was, who he is. And one of those brothers is going to become a very important leader in the church. His name is James. He's the author of the book of James and becomes a leader in the, church, in the early church. Luke continues. We went through them already. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, where he says this. In those days, Peter stepped among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our, mystery, our ministry. Peter, we see, who is, I think you could very easily argue throughout the Gospels, is probably the leader of the twelve. Peter's the one willing to speak. Now, sometimes he speaks when he probably shouldn't speak. Sometimes he does things. But in order to, to be great, you have to take risks. You just do. You have to, if, you, if you stay in your safe little bubble all the time and never speak anything, nothing ever is going to become of, 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 of what you're trying to accomplish. So Peter, yes. Does he do some real, real ignorant things? Sure. But he also is willing to speak up and, and lead. And we need that, don't we? We need leaders. We need people who, who will do the hard work of leading. And Peter seems to be that guy about the Gospels and here in the book of Acts. He stands up and says, all right, we've got to do something here. Now what I want to point out to you is in parentheses in verse 15, Luke tells us, and it's not an accident, Luke is, very, is a great historian and is very, his details of his, of his Gospel and the book of Acts are important. He doesn't list things on accident. There's 120 that are in their number. 
Now, this probably isn't all those who are following Jesus, but it's probably a good chunk of them. There may be others who are not there, who are scattered. But I want you to think about this for just one second, of how off base we can sometimes get in church. How often do we look up to churches who have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people in them? And when Jesus ascends to heaven, his church is made up of 120 people. There's probably a few more other places. Like We've got to quit worrying about how big things are and worry about how faithful things are. I quit with the number thing. Like, guys, there are churches that are filled with thousands of people every week that do nothing. Like, I'm sorry. You can watch them on TV probably right now. Where it's a mile wide and an inch deep. That's not our goal. No, if you know this or not, we don't take attendance every week. I have no idea how many of you are here. My goal is to know who wasn't here by their name. Like, that's the goal. Like, hey, so-and-so's not here. Is everything okay? Like, we're a, we're a family. That's, that's the point. And when you get caught up on numbers, on, like, how big things are, guys, you can go to a concert and find lots of people there. Who cares? The point is, are we faithful? That's what we're trying to do, isn't it? Is be faithful. What we see is there's 120 people who are going to change the world forever. Not 5,000 of them, not 10,000 of them, not 100,000. There's 120 people who we're going to talk about 2,000 years later. Why? Because they're faithful to the mission of God. They just did what God asked them to do. Some of them spoke, like Peter. Some of these apostles, we never get a word from. The rest of the way, you're not going to hear a word from them. They did their job. They went out to the other... Jesus asked them to do what? Before he, he ascends to heaven. Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you, Right? And I'll be with you all the way to the very end of the age. That's my paraphrase. Go. And you know what all these disciples end up doing? They go. Some of them don't make it in the book. Doesn't matter. Just as faithful. And God changes the world with 120 faithful people. And they reach the rest of the known world within a generation with the news that the tomb is empty. That's all God has ever asked us to do and be is to be faithful and to do our job. That's all he's asking us to do. And because they did their job, you and I are here today. The task at hand, the reason Peter stands up before the rest of the apostles is they have to, they're going to replace Judas. Judas is the traitor, right? The one who, who, who gets some, some money in exchange of betraying Jesus. Now Peter says, guys, this was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen, right? They... David had prophesied about this a long time before. But we've got to replace him. We have to do something. right? Someone else is going to have to take his spot. So that's what we're going to see the rest of this, this chapter is how they do that. How do they replace the, a, a leadership hole? And this is what they do in verse 18. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Gross, I know. 
Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language. I have it pronounced phonetically because I'll butcher it. Akeldama is, I believe, how it's pronounced. That is the field of blood. Real estate market, probably not good for that specific area, right? When you name your place the field of blood, people are like, yeah, pass. I'm not going to build my house there. For four, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. We find out the fate of Judas, and that fate is not good. It's not good. Peter says, he's gone. We've got to do something. Someone has to take his place. So this is what they do. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So there's the criteria. Right? There's the, the information on the application. If you want to apply to be an apostle, you have to be there from the very beginning, from the time Jesus is baptized to the time he ascends to heaven. So there's a group of people that they have to pick from, a select group of people that are going to be a witness of the resurrection and Jesus' life. And so this is what they do. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. That's what they're doing again. That whole prayer thing. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, casting lots was something that we see throughout the, throughout the Bible. Essentially, it was a stone or a stick, and the name of the person would be put on there. It'd be put inside of like a jar and shaken, and whichever one fell out, that's who they, how they chose. Now, obviously, they had prayed about it, so they're praying for God's guidance during this process. They're not just like shooting craps, right? That's not what's going on. There, there's purpose to it. They've prayed. This is what we want to do. These are the names. Whichever one comes out, that's, we're taking that guidance from God that this is who it's going to be. So Matthias is the one who is, is chosen. And we learn very little really about him the rest of the way. What we see here is their preparation. So we look next week into Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 is going to get exciting. Once we get to Acts chapter 2, it's like put your seatbelt on and hang on because here we go, right? Hold on to those sunglasses and hats because the ride's starting. Acts 2 is, once we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going full bore, 100%. Full throttle all the way. Here, what we see them doing is preparing. Remember, the preparation is part of being faithful. Doing your job, no matter what the job is, whatever God has gifted you to do, whatever God has asked you to do, you do it to the best of your ability, whether it's in the spotlight or not, knowing that faithfulness matters to God. And so here they prepare for this movement of God as the Holy Spirit is going to come in Acts chapter 2 by replacing Judas with Matthias. Hopefully what you've seen so far in the book of Acts are people who are faithful to God's mission. What you're going to see throughout it is people who are going to be extremely faithful to God's mission despite some, some harrowing circumstances. I hope you're ready because once we get next week, we're going. We're going, trust me. And, and you don't want to miss it. It's going to be fun. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to read about, to see how, how these first Christians, the very first Christians, how they operated. 
how they did your, your business, how they handled it, God, how they cared deeply for one another, how they prayed and were in communication with you constantly, knowing that you're the very source of wisdom and knowledge. And God, we just ask as we, as we go through this book that you would, you would show us the, our areas where we can do the same as, as, as they do in this book, that we can be faithful to you right where we are. God, that's all they did was to be faithful to you right where they were. You called them some, to some other places, and some of them you called far away from home. Doesn't matter, God, whether we're here or we're halfway across the world. You asked us to be faithful, and so help us to do that. Give us your wisdom. Give us your spirit inside us. We're going to see how powerful your spirit comes on these early Christians here in the next few weeks. We just ask that, that's, that you would help us to realize that that same powerful spirit that lived inside of them lives inside of us. That is there to guide us and help us through life's ups and downs, through the peaks and through the valleys low. God, would you help us to rely solely and completely on you and to give you everything we've got, knowing that when we're faithful to you, we are at our very best. God, we thank you, we love you, and we pray all this in the powerful, healing name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.